welcome to Live from Bar Save, an Earth Dawn fan creation. I'm Rachel. I'm Chad. Earth Dawn is a registered trademark of FASA Corporation. Any use of FASA Corporation's trademarks or copyrighted material is not intended as a challenge to those trademarks or copyrights. This is a fan work, and unless explicitly noted, material it contains is not approved or endorsed by FASA Corp. Well, welcome to our crash course. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Now, the purpose of the crash course is for primarily new players. If you've got someone who's completely new to Earth Dawn or say there's someone in your group that is new to Earth Dawn, um, just have them listen to this crash course and they can, uh, before their character creation, that'll save a lot of time and have them understand the world a little bit better. And new GMs also. A GM obviously is going to have a little more work in front of them, but this is a good resource for GMs too. Um, Now, one thing we're going to say, if you're a regular listener of the podcast and you're an experienced player, we hope you'll still take the time to listen to this and help us make it better by replying on our website in the comments. Um, Obviously, as a crash course, we're going to have to oversimplify and leave out a lot. So any gaps that we miss, something that you think is really critical for a new player, leave us a comment, and then that becomes sort of a resource for the community to help get up and running faster. Exactly. So the point of this is to get your first game going quicker, either as a GM or as a player. We're going to tell you what rules you must read before starting and what can wait until later. We'll give you enough information to help make decisions about character creation, but don't worry about memorizing everything. Just get the main ideas and the flavor and the feel for it. And uh, the books are actually pretty well organized for quick referencing. We should probably give our contact information before we get too much farther into this. Our website is lavamonkeygames.com. We've got a game company. We have one game out on iOS for iPads. It's called Flibbits. Uh, you can get more information on our website. Uh, but also, if you go to that site, slash live from bar save, that gives you an index of every episode that we've done. Um, and then each episode, if you go down into the episode details, you can leave comments. Uh, So that's where we're saying that we would like you to go to leave some additional comments if you're an experienced player or if you're a new player with questions. You can also reach us on Twitter. I'm at Lava Monkey Games. And I'm at Chad Lair. That's C-H-A-D-L-A-R-E. And that is also my handle on Reddit. I'm more active on Twitter, but I am on on Reddit also. Uh, Now, we did want to say for our regular listeners, uh, this is obviously kind of a departure. Normally, our episodes are much more detailed. This is going to be a very broad overview. Um, Also, we usually keep make it more conversational. We're going to try to keep this one a little more direct because we have so much information to pack in. The goal is to get the crash course in in two episodes. So we're not going to have as much time for our back and forth. Uh, No mentions of Kevin Costner whatsoever other than the one I just did. Um, we also normally assume a basic understanding, uh, of earth on, we kind of geared the show mostly around hardcore fans that already know the basics, but we're more and more getting feedback that this is cool stuff, but I don't know what to do with it or I don't know how it fits into the hole. So this crash course will be filling in that gap. The plan is at some point we will probably do an additional, maybe two episodes or so of general purpose source material, just um, you know, bar save as a whole. We have some of that here, but it is super, super fast. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So a couple of caveats here. We will be oversimplifying some things. There are going to be areas we completely skip. There are other ones where we give you a working understanding, but it's not totally nuanced, you know, correct in every nuance. Um, so we'll be leaving some things out. 
And this is not at all a replacement for reading the books. If you're getting a new game up and running, especially if you're the GM, you are going to be doing a fair amount of reading. Uh, but we will kind of help you know what you can skip and what you can learn later and what's just there as a reference. Also, we're assuming here that you're using 4th edition, which is the current edition. Uh, older editions are just fine. The bulk of what we're saying will apply there also. Some of the term terminology has changed. Some of the rules have changed a little bit. But if you're in a campaign that's playing one of the other editions, this should uh, should help you out just fine. Just be aware there'll be some minor tweaks. So what is Earthon all about? Well, Earthon is an RPG, which is a role-playing game. And it's similar to other role-playing games in where you take on a character inside of the game. Think of it like a movie or a book, you would be one of the characters. And it's not really against one another, you're working collaboratively. So the goal of the game is for everyone to have fun while creating an interesting collaborative story. And according to the writers of First Edition, eat a lot of pizza. Now, the characters that you play, we'll be talking in a lot more detail later on about how you go about making a character. Uh, but our first, uh, the first thing that we want to do is make sure that you understand the implications of the decisions you'll be making in that process. But just to give you a really brief overview, your character is made up of a race. Uh, like, for example, elf. Uh, you're an elf, you're a troll, you're a, a dwarf. Um, also a discipline, which would be similar to a class in other games. Um, this is what basically what type of character you're playing. Like, are you a thief? Are you an archer? Are you a magician of some kind, like a, a wizard or some other kind of spellcaster? Uh, you also put together a backstory. So where's your character from? Who do they know? Uh, what's their history? What are their goals? And also personality traits, uh, little quirks about them. You know, what, what makes them angry? What, is, what are they passionate about? Things like that. Now, your character is also made up of stats and talents, spells, possessions, and all of that you're going to track on paper. Um, or there are obviously there are different online systems that you can use for tracking character sheets. Now, the, uh, the, uh, typically your campaign is going to be played by groups of somewhere between five to eight characters. It's fairly typical. You can have more. You can have fewer. Uh, but I've found five to eight is usually a pretty good-sized group. And uh, typically, if you can, what you want is to have one player play one character. Now, sometimes if you have an extremely small group um, and you just need more characters, say you have a GM and two players, you could play with two characters, but that's going to be a pretty weak party. So you're probably going to have players play more than one character. It's not ideal if you have enough people try to do one per player. It just gives you a chance to get into the character a little more. Uh, but you definitely can play more than one if the size of your group dictates that. Now, you just mentioned GM. Let's talk about the GM. The GM is an abbreviation for Game Master. It's also referred to in other games like the Dungeon Master, a Storyteller, a Narrator, many others. They're basically the person that controls the story and every creature, friendly, unfriendly, or neutral other than player characters. Now, the GM is not an adversarial person. They are facilitating the story. They're guiding you through this world and this adventure. They describe the details of the setting. Uh, you can always ask them for more detail. If there's something that you don't understand, you know, don't assume that you're not supposed to know it until the game master says, well, your character doesn't really know that. Then, you know, 
you're not supposed to know it. But a lot of times, you know, you need more detail. Uh, the GM is also allowed to bend the rules and modify the setting as needed for house rules uh, to just make things easier depending on the composition of the group. There's also a mix of planned and improvised encounters with um, creatures, with other um, other non-player characters, which we call NPCs, which is a character like yourself. However, the GM controls them. Now, you mentioned house rules, and that, that is a common thing. A lot of times, uh, groups will decide to customize the rules. Typically, if you're doing house rules, that would normally be something that the group as a whole would agree to ahead of time. Uh, but the GM will sometimes customize the rules on the fly to fit the situation. Basically, your character can attempt anything that you want to do on Earth on. It may not work, but you can try to do anything that you want to do. Uh, the book has a lot of detail on the rules, but it doesn't have a specific rule for everything. So sometimes the GM has to step in and kind of kind of bring some flexibility to the game and go, okay, well, how would that work? What would make sense? Uh, so they will be doing some uh, improvisation on that. Now, uh, a lot of times new players, if you're trying to explain to them, if they've never, you know, if they're not coming from Dungeons and Dragons or some other kind of game, sometimes there can be some confusion about what they do in Earthon. Like, what what do you do when you sit down to play? Well, basically, the game is it's organized in a series of sessions, and it's up to your group. But I would say a typical session minimum would be like an hour would be really on the low side to. I find somewhere around four hours is a good session. You can do longer ones. You can do six hours, eight hours. You can play as long as you want. But I would say on average, maybe two to four hours, maybe five hours, somewhere in there is typical. And typically these sessions are going to be connected in some way. So you'll flow from one to the next. And whatever decisions you make in a previous session will carry over, similar to like a character in a movie, whatever they do, in the beginning will impact what comes later. Now, uh, sometimes the terminology gets a little confusing. If someone says a game, I typically think of a game as being a series of sessions. Um, also people will say campaign, uh, campaign is a series of sessions that normally has a, like an overarching goal to it. So maybe the goal for your campaign is to track down the evil wizard and kill him and stop him from whatever his plan is. And over the course of, it can be years or even decades, you can play the same game that would have multiple multiple sessions. Now, over the course of playing these sessions, you will earn legend points. Uh, this would be called experience points or XP in a lot of other games or many other terms for it. But what's interesting with Earthdon, the legend points actually accomplish a couple of different things. Um, you can use them to upgrade your talents and learn new talents. Um, you know, all kinds of different ways that you can upgrade your character to give them new abilities or improve the abilities that they have. But what's different about Earthdon is that you are actually in the con uh, in the process of building a legend around your character. So the more legend points you get, the more well known that character is in the world. So you track not only your current points that you have available to spend to upgrade your character, you also track your total, your running total of all the legend points you've ever accumulated. And the higher that total goes, the more famous or possibly infamous your character is. So you get to a certain point and you could walk into a city that you've never been in and people will know you by reputation and will react to you differently. Um, 
Now, the way you go about earning these legend points, there are several different ways. You can get them by completing session goals or campaign goals. So, for example, if you're playing a campaign about trying to track down the evil wizard, one of the session goals might be find out where he's where his lair is. So you would travel around and talk to people and do whatever adventuring to uh, determine where the lair is. That might be a session goal, and you would be awarded legend points for that. Another common way of earning legend points is for defeating creatures and characters and enemies. So if someone is uh, in, in combat or just opposing you in some other way, there's some... Uh, you know, some bureaucrat blocking you from being allowed into a certain part of the city or something, and you come up with a way to get around that obstacle, you'll typically earn legend points for that. Um, also finding treasure and role-playing in heroics. So if you do something that really saves the entire group, you cast a spell at a, a critical moment and defeat an enemy or, uh, you know, so somehow save the group or move the adventure forward in a, a really pivotal way, you should learn some earn some extra points for that. And role-playing. So if you play your character according to the way they are, so you'll you'll sort of develop a personality for your character as you go. And if you do something that is really in character, especially if it's to your detriment. So you have a, uh, you know, a troll that just can't, he just can't help himself from getting in a fight. And you get in a fight when it maybe wasn't strategically good, but you played your character well, um, you may get points for that. Now, one other thing that's important to consider when running a campaign, uh, a lot of it happens in character during the game. That's where the story takes place. But it's pretty important that players and GMs talk to each other outside of the game, too, and sort of agree on the overall shape of the campaign you're looking for. Um, it's good to know, do the players want more combat? Do they want more, uh, you know, more story-driven, really deep plot twists? Would they like to play some, like an espionage-based campaign where it's about infiltrating some society? Um, also, where to go in Bar Save. We'll be talking in a little bit here about a lot of interesting places you can go. And the GM really needs to know what the characters uh, find interesting. And so that you can say, oh, I really want to play a campaign in Bloodwood or I want to play a campaign in uh, Parlanth. And then the GM knows what source material to dig into and, uh, you know, what kinds of things they can develop the game, uh, develop the game around. And it's, it's pretty important to kind of have that dialogue there because otherwise the GM makes an adventure and then tells your characters, OK, you need to go do this. And the characters just go do it. Also, a great way to earn legend points is to write down the things that your character does during the game. That will help you at the end when you're dealing with the GM to try and up those legend points a little bit. And also, if you make it into a journal, you can give that to your, your GM and you can actually get legend points for that as well. Right. That's actually mentioned in the game um, in some of the source material. There's a library in Thrall, which is the capital city, more or less the capital city of Barsave. The great library will buy adventure uh, logs from adventurers, but the players have to actually write it down. You can earn silver and you can earn, uh, you can actually earn legend points. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's a good point. I forgot to bring that one up. Now, there are some things that you will need in order to get started. The first and foremost is a player's guide. Now, we recommend the fourth edition player's guide, but the older ones are fine also. And you can get 
the newest one, and you can get the previous ones at fasagames.com. I'm sorry. Actually, I should interrupt you for something on here. We're mentioning you can play this edition or that one. You can also mix them. So the bulk of the, uh, like, especially for source material that we'll be talking about more about the setting, it's totally fine to take older books and play them with fourth edition rules. So you don't even have to pick and choose. And this is all at the purview of your game master or your GM. So before you go out and buy anything, just check with them and see which rule set you guys are going to be using. But I personally love the fourth edition player's guide. I love the fourth edition rules. Uh, and you can pick that up at fasagames.com in physical form and on PDF and my favorite, both. Um, anyway, it's got the basic rules and the game information. And you don't need to read it cover to cover before starting. Um, it's about a thousand pages total between the two books. So it's, right. it's a lot of, if you see the, if you see the books, we don't want you to get overwhelmed and go, oh, I can't, I can't possibly play until I read all of this. A lot of it's for reference. We'll help you sort of figure out. Exactly. As we go that. on. Um, one thing that the GM would need would be the fourth edition game master's guide. It has more rules and more background information and some special secrets that only the GM should know. Also the creatures, there's a, a pretty good library of creatures in there for uh, combat encounters. You'll definitely want it for that as well. One of my favorite supplies that you will need is dice and not just any dice. You need polyhedral dice. Okay. Pretty so pink ones, pretty pink case. ones, pretty sparkly rainbow unicorn <laughs> dice, whatever. Um, and when I, when we say D4, D6, that means a dice that has four sides, a dice that has six sides. This isn't Monopoly. We have more than just six-siders. So you can pick up um, you know, your D6, your D8, your D10, your D12, your D20, and a D4. They come in sets, and you can get those at any hobby shop that has RPG-type stuff. You can also get them on Amazon.com. And I would recommend that you pick up more than one set, even if you're just playing one character. Right. I think that each player... You don't necessarily have to have this much, but if each player has two full sets, it's nice because you can have certain dice that, okay, my attack, I roll these dice and you sit them aside. That's going to save you a lot of referencing the tables and every time looking at your sheet. And one thing I like to do as a player is when I roll initiative, I like to take that initiative die and set that aside because if there's a lot of people in your group, you want to be able to remember that number. Right, that's helpful. And we'll get into the rules and uh, mention what initiative is in a little bit. Exactly. But, but yeah, it's, it's helpful if each player has, I would recommend two sets and they're pretty inexpensive, really. They really are, especially you know on Amazon or other online sites. And these dice are not specific to Earth Dawn. Um, so don't go out looking for, you know, branded dice because they don't exist. But they do have some really, really cool themed dice if that's your thing. And they are kind of addictive once you get started. Now there are, uh, that's sort of the core set of what you're absolutely going to need to play. Now there are plenty of other resources that you want to strongly consider. Now not all of these are things you have to have to start but a couple of things that we highly recommend. You're probably going to want some additional source material. The uh, The Game Master's Guide will give you some pretty good depth on the different settings and different cities you can play in, things like that, different uh, overarching ideas. But there is a lot of material out there 
that will drill down into those individual settings and give you a lot of adventure ideas. So again, it's good to talk to your group, see what kinds of things you want to play, and then the GM knows where to go to get the uh, to get the information. And you can buy even the older books. You can still get it as PDFs on facetgame.com. Sorry, facetgames.com. So that's a pretty good resource for you there. So I would recommend, in addition to these books, pick up one setting. Uh, par length is one that I like. We'll be getting into more options here in a little bit. But I would pick one and make sure the GM has a pretty good understanding of that. Now, for playing your first game, you can play it kind of generic. It can just be you're in some little village somewhere. It doesn't have to be super detailed, but you're going to want that as your campaign progresses. Now, one other book that we would recommend that is actually not out yet at the time of this recording. Um, we're recording this in late April 2017. Um, so if you're hearing this quite a bit after the fact, check and it may may already be out. But the fourth edition Earth Dawn Companion, uh, that book just adds some more rules and some more detail. Uh, it has some optional rules for game masters for uh, for other things. And it also gives you the ability to have the higher circle characters. Uh, the, the basic books go up to circle eight. Um, this will take you all the way up to circle 15. So you can play some, uh, you know, take your characters beyond the initial stage that's in the basic, uh, you know, player's guide and the game master's guide. There is a, an Earth Dawn Companion in some of the older editions. So if you have that, that can be a good resource. If not, fourth edition should be out shortly. Also, if there was one other thing, I would put this very close to being required. Um, not 100%. You can do without it, but it's very helpful. The fourth edition Earth. Uh, I'm sorry. The fourth edition Game Master's screen. It's basically a. Uh, it, it's a sheet that's made out of thick laminated cardboard, and it's got a lot of useful tables on the back of it that the Game Master will need. And it saves you a lot of flipping around in the book. All of those rules are in the book, so you have the information without the screen. But it lets you—it uh, really lets you find that that really quickly without having to reference as much. It's also a good way to block any secret information that you have from the players. For example, you might do a die roll, and the player shouldn't know if it succeeded or failed. Um, you can do all that behind the screen. Um, also, if you have any notes, of, you know, maps, notes about the adventure, things like that, you can keep it behind the screen. Also highly recommended uh, vinyl battle mat. This is basically just a big mat, and they make them in various sizes. Um, I've got a large one that covers our entire dining room table, but they make them smaller too. This is a mat that has usually hexes on them. Some of them have squares. You can use either, but hexes work a lot better. Um, mine is double-sided, so if you want, you can flip it either way. And they're typically made to where you can draw on them with a wet erase marker. And so you can draw maps, you can draw notes on the side, whatever you need, and then you just wipe it down with a wet paper towel. Uh, those are very helpful, along with miniatures for your characters. Uh, you can... Uh, Years ago, they made some Earth Dawn miniatures. You may be able to pick them up on eBay, but they're not still in production that I know of. Um, but uh, you can use kind of just some, you, you can find Dungeons and Dragons ones or just some generic fantasy ones. They're not going to have every single race that's in Earth Dawn and be exactly accurate, but you can usually find something close enough to where uh, it kind of has the look and feel. Now, again, you can play the entire game without a map and without miniatures, and it's just more story-driven. But there are situations where it gets a little confusing. Is my guy standing to the left or right? 
of the of the enemy. A lot of times that doesn't matter, but you will have situations where it, it does. And having a, uh, a battle mat with some miniatures really helps kind of keep that straight. Um, so that's something that we recommend. But if you don't have it, feel free to start your game without it and add that as you go. Now, the next section I want to cover here is just some basic history about Barsave. Barsave is the province where Earth Dawn, uh, the Earth Dawn world takes place. There are some provinces outside of that that are uh, written about in some of the source material, but the vast majority of it covers Barsave. Now, I'm going to tell you up front, this is overly simplified. I am skipping a lot of things, and some of what I'm saying is not entirely accurate, but it's close enough that you'll get a feel and uh, you'll know what you know the world that you're operating in. We definitely recommend as you get your game going, as you start, the GM especially, but even the players can do some additional reading and sort of fill in this, uh, you know, fill in their knowledge. And we'll have a section here about about some additional resources. So this is just a very very high level overview. So there was an Elven scholar named Eleanor Messias. Messias was a trusted advisor of the Elven Queen Phyla. He was banished from the Elven Court for opposing one of her decisions regarding uh, how the court should relate to a distant nation of elves that they were having a dispute with. And he voiced his opposition to that, so he was banished and not allowed to return to the Elven Court. Now, during that time, he traveled, and he ended up in a monastery in the Dolores Mountains, which is a mountain range in western Barsave. Now, the scholars at the monastery had discovered a six-volume set of books called the Books of Harrow. Messias didn't know exactly what was in these books, but he could look at them and he could tell that it was important, and he dedicated his life to studying them. He ended up tearing out his own eyes and threw them into the fire, and he had left a note that said, These are the Books of Harrow. They are our doom and our salvation. Learn from them or we all perish. And that evening, six more scholars in the monastery died mysterious deaths. Now, this was obviously a big setback, but the effort to translate the books of Haro did continue. The books were taken to a faraway island in the Celestrian Sea, which is to the southwest of Barsave. And there they built a library called the Eternal Library. And it became the center of the research into these books. And the city that sprung up around the library was known as Thera. And it would eventually become the capital city of the Theron Empire. It took hundreds of years, but the books were finally translated, and what they found in them was not good news. The, uh, they described that the magic level in the world rises and falls in cycles, and according to the books, they were coming up on the next high cycle of the magic level. And the book said that when the magic level reaches its highest point, there are creatures called horrors that can travel over from astral space, which is basically like a magical dimension, can travel from astral space into the physical world. And that they would remain in the world until the magic level subsided to the point where that connection between the worlds was weak enough that they could no longer stay. And then they would retreat back to astral space. Now, the time of this supernatural invasion of the horrors came to be known as the Scourge. The Therans, through their study of the Books of Harrow, they developed something called the Rites of Protection and Passage. And basically what this was, uh, was an approach for defending against the horrors. Uh, they had determined that there was no way to stop this calamity. There was no way to keep them from coming into our world. But they did come up with some techniques for building shelters that would allow uh, the people of the world to be able to survive 
underground for multiple generations while they waited for the magic level to subside. Uh, now, in most cases, they were underground facilities called cares, which were typically either dug into the side of a mountain or uh, dug down underneath the ground. Or in a few cases, they used existing uh, tunnels. Say, if there was a series of caves or something, they found a way to magically reinforce them. There also were some uh, other shelters called citadels, which were built for a similar purpose. It was to give people a way to survive the scourge. Uh, but those were above ground. Uh, typically, there would be a city that would be covered by a dome of something called true air, which is a magical element that could be used to uh, to keep the horrors out. There were a few other types of defenses, but that would be a fairly typical way that a citadel would be built. Uh, now, basically, the Theron Empire, through this work, they saved the world because without them, no one would have even known it was coming and nobody would have been known uh, how to defend themselves against it. But they they took that power and they used it to exert influence over Barsave. Basically, what they did was they bartered uh, this information about how to survive the scourge. They said, we will give this to the people of Barsave, but they have to agree to become our subjects. Um, now, they chose the Dwarven Kingdom of, of Thrall to basically be their representatives and kind of administrators uh, of the Theron government in Barsave. Um, so this had a couple of implications to it. The Dwarven language became the common language of Barsave, uh, especially for commerce. There are still other languages, uh, but pretty much everyone in Barsave, for the most part, speaks, uh, speaks Dwarven uh, or Throlic. And uh, Thrall also, they created uh, what they called the Book of Tomorrow, which was a big book of customs, uh, language lessons, history, uh, mostly Dwarven history. And they distributed this to as many communities as they could so that they would have something of the past to take with them into the cares. Uh, they didn't want that over the centuries that they didn't really want uh, everyone to forget where they came from and to lose all the art and culture and language that had been so rich for so long. The scourge ended up lasting for about 400 years, and because the people had this book of tomorrow with them, that was their entire education system was built around that. Generation after generation would teach the children out of this book, and that made dwarven culture more influential than any other culture. Um, so that when people emerged from the cares, they felt far more loyal to Thrall than they did to Thera. And uh, so they didn't, they kind of came out with this mindset of we're not Therans, we are citizens of Thrall. During the Scourge, uh, Thrall was hard at work on another document. It was called the Council Compact. And the Council Compact was a system of laws and a system of government that would become the basis of Thrallic law and would also be adopted throughout much of uh, the rest of Barsave. But in addition to that, it banned the practice of slavery, which was heavily relied upon by the Theron Empire. They would not have been able to build the Eternal Library and to build all the other great structures that they had and accomplish everything they had accomplished magically. Uh, they based all of that on slave labor. So those two things combined, the shifting loyalty and Thrall emphatically banning slavery, both of those combined to really set off some tension uh, between Barsave, uh, between the Kingdom of Thrall and Barsave as a whole against the Theron Empire. Now, individuals in Barsave sometimes lean one way or the other. They, there are certain people that are very pro-Thrall, or there are certain ones that even uh, still consider themselves Therans. 
Uh, and then there are other people that are kind of in the middle. Maybe they they aren't fans of the Therans, but they don't totally trust Thrall. So this tension between the two uh, is pretty important, and it's something that is kind of the undercurrent of a lot of what happens in Earthdawn as a whole. So it was pretty inevitable that there was going to be a war here. The uh, the Therans returned to Barsave, which they still considered to be a province of the Theran Empire. And this was called the First Theran War. If you read the uh, some of the first edition Earthdawn material, it's just called the Theran War. Uh, but there's another war that comes later. So uh, in fourth edition, it's called the First Theran War. The people of Barsave were able to band together and to defeat the invading Therans. So the Therans had to retreat, but they didn't retreat entirely. They still hung on to a foothold in southwestern Barsave, a place called the Fortress of Skypoint. Skypoint had a lot of magical airships stationed there, and it was kind of the last remaining uh, uh, point of power of the Therans in Barsave, and everyone knew that they were regaining their strength to try to retake the province once again in the future. And that's exactly what uh, what happened in the Second Theran War. They, uh, they built their strength back up, and they invaded again. This time, they landed a magical stone airship the size of a city called the Triumph. They landed that right in the heart of Barsave and used that as a base of operations. Full-fledged war ended up breaking out, and there were some major victories and defeats on both sides. Uh, but eventually, Thrall captured the Triumph, and the Theran fortress of Skypoint and the city of Avain were destroyed, and the Therans left Barsave. Now, in 4th edition, that's kind of where 4th edition picks up. The Therans aren't as much of a presence in Barsave in 4th edition, but they're not completely out of the equation. It's still very possible that one day they will come back and attack again. And they are still even currently exerting some influence in different ways. And they have certain, you know, they can have operatives in Barsave. So the Therans are still very much a factor. But for now, they've sort of pulled into the background a little bit. Now, Barsave is a big place. And some of the more notable areas, um, one of them is Thrall. Now, Thrall is a massive care that was dug into the side of a mountain. And when we say massive, we mean massive. Thousands of people live there. Thousands of people. And it, it takes you hours just to walk from one section to the next section of the uh, of the city. It's also the capital city of Barsave. And it's a major center of trade. And it's also where the Great Library is. The Great Library is in Thrall. So there's a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of um, mages. There's a lot of artisans that are there. And then outside of the care of Thrall, there's a city called Bartertown. And it's exactly what the name says. It's a trade city. A lot of black market stuff that you really shouldn't get. You can find there. And uh, it's recently been burned down and rebuilt. Um, but you can find all, all sorts of things there. Now, Thrall, um, they're very welcoming to other people. They're very proud. They're very patriotic. They love their city, and they're very proud of it. They're also very into intellectual pursuits. There are a lot of people there studying in detail, studying magic, studying history. 
Uh, in fact, a lot of the source books are written from the point of view of a book that's in the library. So as you accumulate these books in your collection, the GM can allow the players to read through some of these books if they go to Thrall, which is kind of fun. I think of Thrall in my head as a school of Athens where there's lots of learning and there's lots of debate and lots of people just, you know, with the with the arts and things. It's a very similar mindset. It's debating is sort of like uh, the favorite sport there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like we said, there's there's a lot to the city. Um, but another area, and it's probably my favorite area, is Parlength. Now, um, Parlength is a city that was magically removed from the world into its own dimension. So when they found out that the horrors were coming, they did this gigantic spell to try and protect um, Parlength from the oncoming scourge. But little did they know that the horrors were already there. And so, in essence, they ended up being trapped in this dimension in par length with all the horrors. And no one survived. Um, so, when it came back into the world, um, it's in ruins. It's now in ruins. And it's a place that uh, adventurers go looking to get rich. And outside of Parlength is a little town called Haven, where uh, the original adventurers that went into Parlength kind of set up this makeshift kind of old west town is kind of how I think of it in my mind, where you can get information and supplies, but it's definitely a buyer's market for the treasure. Yeah, I think that uh, Torgak, who is the sort of unofficial mayor, and his his uh, cronies that kind of run the city of Haven, I think they figured out long ago that the real treasure was not in the ruins. The real treasure was selling things to wannabe adventurers. And information. Information, <laughs> information. is extremely valuable. In Parlength, you can go to Vardigul's and get information that may or may not, may not be true about the city. You can purchase maps and things, but she charges you even to see the price list. And now in 4th edition, uh, these people that founded the city of Haven, which is actually kind of carved out of a section of the ruins, um, the people who founded that are really getting up in years. And so it's sort of like the old guard is about to retire and it's a little unclear which factions are going to take over. And I, I think we may see that becoming a bigger feature of fourth edition as it goes along. It seems to be the direction it's going. One other important city in Barsave is the city of Iopus. It's located in the northwestern part of Barsave, and it's ruled by a family of human magicians called the Denerastus clan. And they are the, uh, they're enemies of Thrall, but they, uh, a lot of the material sort of suggests that the Denerastus clan has uh, been sort of secretly manipulating Barsave behind the scenes for centuries and centuries. So they are kind of this mysterious group, and they have got some mentions in a lot of different pieces of source material. But there's never been a book that is just a source book on the city of Iopus. I don't know if there are any particular plans for that, but they seem to be taking more of a front and center um, position in fourth edition as the new bad guys now that the Therans have kind of receded some. Next, we have the Merchant City of Trevar. It's in southern Barsave, along the Serpent River. It's a major hub of trade, and they annually have a tournament called the Founding, which helps establish who their leaders will be. 
That's pretty neat. But the area is very unstable because there is a lot of piracy on the river in that area that they're in. And there is a new source book that should be coming out spring or summer of 2017. So be on the lookout for that. We also mentioned Trevar in our uh, series that we did on the Serpent River, where we covered the first edition Serpent River book. Uh, In our next episode, we're going to be going into a lot of detail about what books are out there and different ones that we recommend. So we'll give you some more information on that next time. Uh, But if you're interested in Trevar, there's some information there in our Serpent River series, as well as the first edition Serpent River book. Another setting in Earthdawn that I find just fascinating is Bloodwood. They're basically a community of elves that are very reclusive. They don't hardly have hardly any relationships with anyone else in Barsave. They have a pretty uh, pretty in-depth history that's in the source material that we definitely can't all go into here. But to give you just a brief overview, they rejected the Theron's offer of information on how to protect themselves during the Scourge. They felt that they knew better and that they had their own way. They, they came up with a wooden care that uh, was actually pretty effective for a while. I think maybe 100 or 150 years or so, it kept the horrors out. But over time, the horrors were wearing it down, and they started invading it. And the, uh, the elves were able to fight them back, but it was clear that this was not going to hold uh, for the duration of the scourge. So they were left with a pretty terrible choice. The only thing they could do was find a way to make the the horrors no longer find them appealing. Now, the horrors thrive off of causing pain. That's basically what feeds them. But they only seem to find it uh, attractive if they are the ones causing it. So the elves cast a terrible spell to put themselves in excruciating pain constantly so that the horrors would basically just find them unappealing and leave them alone. Um, the spell was called the Ritual of Thorns, and it caused the thorn- it had caused thorns to actually grow out of the uh, the skin of the elves. Now, this isn't all elves in Barsave. You can be a blood elf uh, that has these thorns, or you can be um, a, a regular elf that doesn't. But these thorns are basically constant open wounds that drip blood, and they're just in permanent pain all the time. And so it was a pretty pretty high price to pay. It not only affected the elves themselves, but it actually twisted the entire nature of Bloodwood. It used to be called Wormwood, and it was a place of intense beauty. And it instead twisted it into something that is still beautiful, but is kind of tragic at the same time. In the southwest of Barsave, we have Death Sea. Now, Death Sea is this gigantic sea made of molten rock. And it's rich in magical elements, especially true fire. And it's inhabited by fire elementals and other magical creatures. Now, there is a legend about Death Sea, isn't there? Yes, there's a legend that Death himself has been imprisoned underneath Death Sea, uh, that he was imprisoned there by what are called the Passions. These are sort of like uh, godlike figures that take on different forms in Barsave, and each one represents a set of different ideals. Um, You can see more information about them in the books. Um, They may or may not be a big part of the campaign, just depending on what the GM wants to do. Uh, But the the, uh, fourth edition books have uh, quite a bit more detail. But the legend goes that they imprisoned death beneath Death Sea, and when enough blood has been spilt on the land of Barsave, that death will be released. 
Uh, one other fun thing uh, about Death Sea is we mentioned the airships a little bit previously that are these uh, magically powered flying ships. There are actually airships that go out over Death Sea and mine this elemental fire, um, but they sometimes come under, come under attack from the creatures that you talked about. So that can be a very exciting place to play, uh, especially if you want to get your uh, get your group into doing some airship combat. That can be uh, those games can be a lot of fun. It can be pretty risky though, because if you fall over the edge, you're you're not coming back. <laughs> uh, final area that we want to talk about, and again, ton a ton more of these places in the book. But the last one we want to mention here is the Service Jungle. It's a uh, dense jungle in central central Barsave, and uh, there are a lot of ruins there that date back before the Scourge that are hidden in the jungle. And so that can be a great way for the GM to work in uh, a lot of, you know, searches for ancient treasure, or maybe you have to go find a piece of information that's carved on a stone tablet or something. Uh, So if you have something that's sort of a historical plot that dates back to before the Scourge, the uh, service jungle can be a great place to to have that take place. And it's also inhabited by primitive primitive tribes of humans, elves, and Tuskrang. So you can have a lot of combat encounters there. Now, you would think they wouldn't be very great at combat, but they actually are pretty fierce. In one of the first edition source books, they talk about there's a uh, firsthand written account of some ancient tribes actually overcoming some of the uh, a, a, um, group of Theron soldiers. I believe it was in Denizens of Earth on, I forget if it was one or two. But it was it was talking about this uh, this group of primitive I believe it was the Tuskrang actually defeated the Therans and made them made them escape. So the service jungle can be a really really good place to run a campaign like that. Well, that will do it for episode one, and we're going to get into the next episode of our quick start or what did you call it? I called it crash course. Crash that, course. that name is quickly wearing off here so Uh, so in the next one we're going to talk about magic we're going to talk about the rules and what you need to keep in mind when you are doing character creation right i've just found over the years as being a gm and uh bringing new people to the game it's sort of your first impulse is let's sit down and make your character so we can play the problem is they make all these decisions and then they get into it and they're like you know two games in they're like oh i would have i would have made my character different if i had known that absolutely i can speak as a player saying that i wish i would have had a primer before you know starting to build a character because you really get more of an idea of the world by being immersed in it and then you know what you want and then you're kind of like well can I change this or can I change that so you know we'll let we'll talk about it all up front so you can make an informed decision and hopefully the the little bit of overview we've given uh, given here of the history and uh, some of the flavor of bar save hopefully that will give you enough information that next episode we'll get more into the mechanics and the rules and how to make decisions about how you want your character to be. Uh, We'll also point you to some very good resources, different uh, types of source material, and kind of where to go from there after you got a couple sessions under your belt. How do you get a a larger, longer-running game going? So that'll be what we get into next. Yeah, and once again, we invite all of our listeners to join the conversation on our website, lavamonkeygames.com forward slash live from bar save on the page for this episode. Any kind of input that you'd like to put on there for, um, you know, beginning people? 
you know, that would be very welcome. We love or the any beginners that uh, would like to ask questions. We absolutely uh, we're very active on Twitter, so feel free to send us questions or ask us where to go. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at, at Lava Monkey Games, and you can find Chad at at Chad Lair. And that'll do it for today. All right. Thanks we'll for joining time. us. See you next time. Bye. Bye.